this session we are going to deal with the most exciting teaching in the New Testament. What do you think is the most exciting truth in the New Testament? The forgiveness of our sin? Well, that is exciting, no doubt. What's the most exciting thing that is before you? Going to heaven? That's definitely exciting, no doubt. But there is something more than that. If you have a Scofield Bible, in one of the editions, I don't know if it is there in all the editions, in Romans chapter 8 and 28, that passage, you know, they give subtitles in, in Scofield Bible. That's not inspired. That's given by, that's not written by the Holy Spirit. That's given by the editors. Depending on, on uh, what is dealt with there, they give subtitles. So, in that passage where Romans 8, 28 occurs, 28, 29, 30, they have given a subtitle in one of the Scofield Bible editions. It says, God's eternal, unfailing plan through the gospel. God's eternal, unfailing plan through the gospel. Let's see what that is. I want to tell you that's the most exciting truth that is presented in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, starting from verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did for, for new, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Just on top of this passage is that subtitle given in the Scofield Bible. That is, God's unfailing purpose or plan, eternal plan through the gospel. And what is that plan? You know, when you read verses 29 and 30, there you read several steps in God's redemptive plan. We read about foreknowledge, we read about predestination, then we read about being conformed to the image of God's Son. Then we read about uh, uh, the calling that we receive, justification, and then glorification. These are several steps in God's plan of redemption. But the ultimate plan, the ultimate purpose of this redemption is that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. That is... What I said, the most exciting truth taught in the New Testament. I think there's nothing higher than this. I cannot think of anything. I don't think anyone can uh, think of any other thing. So the most exciting truth presented in the New Testament is not just that we can be saved. That's great indeed. Not just that we can go to heaven when we die. That again is something wonderful. But there is something much more than that. What is that? God has predestinated each one of us in his plan of redemption that we might be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Each one of us can be conformed to the image of God's Son. Isn't it wonderful? Even if God just forgives our sins and takes us to heaven, that's good enough. You know, when we get to heaven, if God says, all right, you were all sinners, but by my goodness, I saved all of you, all right, stand in a queue, fold your hands, stand here all eternity like this, we would say, thank you, Lord. We should have gone to hell. The very fact that you gave us an entry in heaven, that itself is sufficient to thank thee all the days of eternity. And if you stand as... If you ask us even to stand on one leg, one leg all eternity, that also is fine. We were, we were delivered from hell. 
we are in heaven now it doesn't matter whether we stand or sit or keep our hands folded all eternity thank you lord we should have perished in hell but you gave us heaven that's it that would have been enough but that is not what god has planned not just to take us to heaven or to give us a seat in heaven his plan is to make each one of us like his own son to conform us to the image of his son that is god's plan that's something too wonderful for us to believe that is why i said this is the most exciting truth that the new testament teaches there's nothing greater than this in the bible god saves a wretched dirty sinner like us he shows grace he shows mercy he pours his love on us he saves us he puts his spirit into our hearts he keeps us in this world and he finally takes us to heaven and gives us a seat in heaven that itself is something wonderful but god's plan is far higher than that god's plan is to conform each one of us not just the evangelists not just the elders not just the full time workers but each child born again child of god to conform each one of us into the image of his son that's something wonderful we never wanted that we never asked god to do that we would never have imagined that we would never have requested god for such a high position but god in his large heartedness that is what he did you remember the parable of the prodigal son when the son came back what was his expectation you know when he thought to himself in his mind when he was planning to come back he had made some plans probably he had done some rehearsal as to what he was going to say maybe my dad would be angry and i would go and maybe fall at his feet and i will say father i have sinned against you and against heaven i am not worthy to be called your son and make me like one of your servants he must have rehearsed that several times on his way back trembling he is going back home how is my dad going to receive me well i will just ask him to make me like one of his servants and he may be satisfied with that maybe i think he will let me be a servant but you know what happened when he returned home we see that his father saw him from afar and he ran fell on his neck and kissed him and the father uh, and the son began to say all that he had planned to say you read that passage carefully later and he said father i have sinned against you and uh, uh, against heaven i am not worthy to be called your son but he forgot to say the last sentence he did not say that read your bibles carefully he could not say that not that he forgot he just couldn't say that make me like one of your servants he just couldn't say that because here is this father running and hugging him seeing him from afar this old man is running to accept him just as he was with all the dirt and filth on him and how could this boy ever tell that father to make him like one of his servants he couldn't do that so he said only half uh, i've sinned against you i'm not worthy to be called your son that's it he didn't say the next part because he couldn't say that the son never expected that the father would do such a thing the maximum that he could expect his father to do was to make him a servant but you know that is not how the father received him that's a picture of how god receives a sinner not just receives him as a servant or just give him a place in heaven god's plan is far higher than that if you are given a chance to plan something for your salvation uh if god had asked each one of us all right what do you want want me to do for you well god we want you to forgive our sins then the maximum that we could think of is take us to heaven right can you think of anything higher than that would you have suggested anything higher than that to god i don't think such a thought would never occur in our mind it would never come in our mind the maximum the highest that we could ask god for was god please take me to heaven that's the highest but what god planned for us was far higher than that 
You know, in Isaiah 55, there is a wonderful verse. I hope some of you know, or probably all of you know this verse. God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my plans higher than your plans. God's thoughts and plans for us are far higher than our thoughts and our plans for ourselves. When we were small, back home in, I'm from Kotayam, my grandfather had a school. In those days, there were not many schools in, in, you know, in that part of the country. And in those days, he established a school that was our own school, my mother, mother's father. So that was just across the road. My mother's house was this side of the road, and the school was the other side of the road. You could just run across and go to the school. And when we were small children, one of my brothers had a great ambition. When he was small, he always used to say, when I grow big, I will become the peon. You understand the word peon? P-E-O-N? Okay. I, I'll become the peon in, my, in our grandfather's school. Now, he had two valid reasons for you know, thinking like that. Number one is, peon can ring the bell. What a privilege. Okay? <laughs> this little boy would envy that peon when every morning he rings the bell. After every period, he would ring the bell. And this boy would look up, you know, imagine... Oh, one day, only, if only I could become the pune, I could ring the bell. And the second reason is, you know, whenever he is hungry, he, could, he can... Being the pune, there is no special room or seat. The principal has to be seated. The teachers have to be seated in their respective uh, seats. But a pune can just wander around anywhere he likes. So whenever he is angry, he can just run across, grab something from the kitchen and then go back. So because of these two valid reasons... He was hoping that one day, that was his ambition, he would become the pun in that school. That was the highest that he could think of. Now, what would our grandfather have been planning? Uh, he, he never told us. Uh, I haven't even seen him. But if you, had, if you would ever ask him, what, what are your plans for your children and grandchildren? I'm sure he would say, after my time... My children and grandchildren should become the managers of the school and the principals of the school and they should run the school well. So that is what the grandfather was planning. What are the grandchildren planning? We will ring the bell. Huh? We will become pewns. See, look at the difference between these plans, these thoughts. So when I, remember, when I read this verse in Isaiah 55, this thought comes to my mind. God is planning something so high. God says, my plans are higher than your plans. As far as the heavens are higher over the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my plans higher than your plans. So God's plans in our redemption is not just forgiving our sin. That is just the beginning. Not just giving us the Holy Spirit. Not just taking us to heaven. God has a plan Far higher than that, that is to make each one of us conform to the image of God's Son. God wants each one of us, dirty sinners saved by the grace of God, to become like His own Son. What a wonderful plan that is. You know, in the New Testament we read of that plan many times. Uh, can I show you a few more verses that talk about this plan? In the first epistle of John, this morning we read that verse for... Another reason, in first epistle of John, chapter 3, and verse 2, this is what we read. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, in death it doth, it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Look at that. When he shall appear... We shall be like him. All of us, not only Apostle John or Paul, all the believers, we, we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That is God's plan, to make us like his own son. One more verse, Philippians chapter 3. There is Apostle Paul talks about our great hope. What is our hope? Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our conversation, that is citizenship, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, 
according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. See, when the Lord Jesus returns, he is going to change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So we are going to be transformed into his image. We are going to be glorified. We are going to be conformed to the image of God's Son. That is God's great plan in our redemption. You see, here I see something very, very important. That is, gospel is not the invention of any man or any religion. Because no man could ever have imagined a plan of salvation like this. Do you understand what I say? If God had asked us, all right, all the wise men in the world, you, you make a plan of salvation. What would we have said? Huh? What's, what could we think? Well, oh God, we have all sinned against you and what's the solution now? All right. Huh? We will pay you some money or we will roll around the church a hundred times. We will persecute our bodies. We will fast for 40 days every month, uh, every year. And anything like that. And finally you forgive us and you take us to heaven. Something like that we would have planned. We would never have asked God to make us like his son. So the very fact that the gospel presents these truths. Proved to us that it is not human in origin. The plan of redemption that we read in the Bible. Could never have occurred to the mind of any human being. This is not the invention of any man. This is divine. This is divine revelation. We believe this plan of re uh, redemption because God revealed it to us. We could never have imagined, we, should nev we could never have planned a salvation like this. It is so sublime, so great. This came from the mind of an all-loving God. What a wonderful plan. Alright. When is this going to take place? When are we going to be like the Son of God? Well, the answer is there in the verses that we read in 1 John and Philippians. When he shall appear. That is when we are going to be like him. When the Lord Jesus comes back, we are going to be like him. Very good. But I want to tell you something greater than that. What is that? Even as we live in this world, we can be partakers of his nature. We are going to be like him when he comes, in its full sense. But in a relative sense, even as we live in this world, though we cannot become fully like the Lord Jesus, we can have a part in his character. Come with me to First Peter. Uh, sorry, not First Peter, Second Peter, chapter one. See what Peter has to say about this. Second Peter, chapter one, and we will read verses three and four. Second Epistle of Peter, chapter one, verses three and four. According as his divine power hath given unto us. All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Next verse. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There are two things here. One is a negative thing and one is a positive thing. The negative thing is, we, when we are saved, we escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Putting it in simple terms, we escape sinful things. We are saved from sin and the deception of sin. And what's the positive thing? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, we become partakers of the divine nature. That's a positive thing. What is divine nature? 
divine nature is the nature of God. Alright, divine means that which belongs to God. Divine nature is the nature of God. How do you know what is divine nature? John 1.18, no one had seen God at any time. Then how do we know what God's nature is? That verse continues to say, but the, but the son who is in the bosom of the father hath revealed him. Though no man had seen God at any time, the Son of God has revealed God to us. So if you want to know what divine nature is, you look at that revelation. You look at the Lord Jesus Christ who revealed God to us. So the the divine nature is equal to the nature of God, is equal to the nature revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Because we haven't seen God, we have only seen Christ. So the nature that is seen in Christ is divine nature. That is the nature of God. What you see in Christ, his character, his nature, that is divine nature. And the verse that we read in Peter says, not only that we escape from the corruption of sin... That's a negative thing, something that we give up, something that we are delivered from. But what are we delivered unto? What's a positive thing that we come into? We come into a place where we have the privilege of being partakers of God's nature. See, this is something that takes place when we are in this world. Becoming like the Lord Jesus or being conformed to his image in its full sense will take place only when the Lord comes. None of us are going to be perfectly like the Lord Jesus as we live in this world. But in another sense, in a practical sense, all of us can share the character of the Lord Jesus Christ that is becoming partakers of his nature Right now, as we live in this sinful flesh. Isn't that an exciting news? When you go to heaven, you will become like him. That's fine. But even as we are on this earth, we can reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in our character. Who are we? We are children of Adam. We were dirty sinners. Destined only to hell. But through the gospel, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, God saves us. He cleanses us. He makes us his own. He puts his spirit into us. And he gives us the privilege of belonging to the family of God, the church of God. And he also gives us the privilege to share his nature. What is our nature originally? Adamic nature, the nature of Adam. If you love me, I will also love you. If you don't love me, I will also don't love you. I also won't love you. You hate me, I'll hate you. If you do something against me, I won't forgive you. I will also do something against you. That is our nature. We are irritable. We are arrogant. We are proud. We are jealous. We tend to think evil things. We we love to see dirty things. And we love to imagine evil things. A heart is full of filth. That is our original nature. But God saves us. He not only forgives us, He gives us a new nature. Or He gives us a part or share in His divine nature. By the Spirit of God that is imparted to us, God enables us to be partakers of divine nature. It is possible to manifest the nature of Christ as we live in this world. See, our theme is victorious Christian life. And all these days we were talking about having victory over sin. This morning we were talking about how to have victory over sin. What are the things that we are supposed to do to keep ourselves pure? That is true. But that is not the end of Christian life. Christian life is not a life where you just have victory over sins. It is a life where you have victory over sin, but more than that, you partake of God's nature. Your character is transformed in such a way that you manifest divine nature. You manifest a developing Christian character. 
as days go by, you manifest more and more of the character of Jesus Christ. You become more like the Son of God. You grow into His likeness more and more. That is what Peter is talking about. I tell you, this is the privilege of every child of God. There's nothing special for a special group of people. This is true of every brother, every sister seated here. If you are a child of God, God has already made you a partaker of his nature. When he put his spirit into you, you have the mind of Christ. You have the nature of Christ. The only thing is, that should, we should allow that to manifest itself more and more in our life. How does that happen? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, we behold the glory of the Lord, as in a glass. Then what happens? Beholding the glory of the, God, of the Lord, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. How does that take place? By the Spirit of the Lord. You remember on the first day, when we were talking about being strengthened in the inner man, we looked at Paul's prayer, Ephesians 3, 16, uh, 18, that passage, Paul says, strengthened by the Spirit of God. You remember how I explained it? It is as you yield to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day -day life situations that you become strong in the inside. Here, exactly the same thing is mentioned. We behold the glory of the Lord Jesus and we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That means as you allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart, you are being changed from one degree of glory to another. We shall receive the full glory only when the Lord comes. We made it clear. But... In our character, in our body, no change takes place. You know, in Philippians 3 we read, our wild body shall be changed. Right now, there will be no change in our body. Our body is just the same. But inside of us, in our character, we can reveal the glory of the Lord Jesus. In my character, that is equal to saying, we can manifest the nature of Christ more and more in our lives. So, dear brothers and sisters, when we talk about victorious Christian life, it is not just talking about having victory over sin. That is one aspect of it. But the other side, the higher side is, not only that we have victory over sin, in our day-to-day -day life, we manifest a growing Christ-likeness. We become more like the Lord Jesus in our attitudes, in our outlook, in our behavior, in our love. In our kindness, in our compassion, in our response to life situations. That is what it means to be a blessed Christian. Not just saying that I don't smoke, I don't drink. Well, that's a good thing that you don't do those things. But that is not what Christian life is all about. Not enough to say I don't sin, I have victory over many sins. Very good. But that's not enough. You need to show the glory of Christ more and more in your life. So we read here, as uh, by the Spirit of the Lord. That means, as the Spirit of the Lord works in us, we are changed from glory to glory. We undergo a great transformation in our character and we become like the Lord Jesus more and more. I want you to come with me to that same verse that we read. In Second Peter chapter 1. I, need, I think I need to explain that a little more. So that we will get a clearer picture. In Second Peter chapter 1. I said we see two things. One is a negative thing. That is escaping the corruption of sin. And the positive thing is being partakers of divine nature. 
Now, let me illustrate it this way. Before we were saved, all of us were attached to this corruption of sin. All of us were living in sin. There are two walls on both sides. On my left side, there's a wall. On my right side, there's a wall. Now, this wall on my left, I'm going to call it the corruption of sin. So, before I was saved, I was clinging on to that wall. I was leaning upon that wall. I was touching that wall. I was staying close to that wall. That is the wall of sin. When I got saved, I am delivered from the corruption of sin. Then what happens? I reject that wall. I forsake that wall. I leave my contact with that wall. I take my hands off that wall. So, I have escaped sinful things. I no more allow sinful things in my life. But that is just, a be- just the beginning. And this wall on this side, we shall call it divine nature. The nature of Christ. So, when I am saved, not only that I leave this wall, I have no more contact with this wall, but from that day on, I begin a journey from this wall to this wall. So, every Christian, if you draw a line between these walls, all of us are somewhere along this line. If you draw a diagram, maybe you can spot, you know, like saying spotting the train, you know, you have facility to spot the train, where the train exactly is. You can spot yourself along this line. Where are you along this line? You say, I have escaped the corruption of sin. Very good. You are saved. You have left sinful things. But that's not enough. You need to, because you are a partaker of divine nature, you need to get closer and closer to that divine nature. That means, manifest more and more of that divine nature as days go by. So we are all on a journey from this wall to this wall. What is spiritual growth? Spiritual growth is actually a journey from this wall to this wall. So some of us probably have reached here halfway through. Huh? In many areas of our life, we have become like the Lord Jesus in the sense, uh, in, in an increasing measure, we have maybe the compassion of Christ, the love of Christ, the humility of Christ, may not be perfectly, but to a great extent. Huh? Some of us have come, come, come a long way. And maybe some others, very godly men, they may have reached uh, 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 you know, uh, closer to that wall. In their life, they manifest more of Christ-likeness. And some others, well, they are probably somewhere here. They have just started. But I personally think, from my experience, seeing so many believers all around the world, good number of believers are still thronging around that wall. They are not touching that wall. They say, I'm saved. Very good. But there is no progress in their Christian life. They are standing somewhere near that wall. You know what's the advantage of standing near the wall? You can call them borderline Christians. They are inside, no doubt. They are not out in the world. But they are very close to that wall. You know people live, who live in, in the borders of states, they speak both languages. People who live near Kanyagumari, they can speak Tamil and they can speak Malayalam also. I think people who live near Kasargod or that area, near Mangalore, they can speak Canada and they can speak Malayalam. See, they are borderline. It's very difficult to decide where they are, whether they are in Karnataka or in Kerala. They are along the border. So they speak two languages. So people who, who stay here, even after they are saved, they also speak both languages. Monday through Saturday, they will speak the language of the world. And Sunday morning, they will speak the language of, you know, the, the jargons that we use in the church. The language of the church or the Bible. They know both languages. But there is no progress in their Christian life. And the, and the result is, if they are provoked a little bit, if there is a dispute, if there is a problem, immediately they will touch that wall. Because they stand very close to that wall. But a person who has come a far distance from that wall, one who has grown spiritually, one who manifests the character of Christ more and more in his life, 
one who has reached here is it not possible for him to sin yes it is possible for him to sin but then he has to go back all the way to sin he is here he has grown so much he can also fall into sin but he needs to go back all the way to touch that wall but people who stay near that wall they don't have to go anywhere they just have to lift their hand and they touch the wall of sin i hope you understand what i am trying to say it is not enough to stay there near that wall it is not enough to say that i've left the corruption of sin we need to manifest that divine nature we need to prove that we are partakers of divine nature more and more as days go by slowly slowly we should be progressing towards this wall you know when you progress towards this fall the distance between you and that wall becomes greater that is the distance between you and sin becomes greater sin becomes exceedingly sinful did you get that the same sin it becomes exceedingly sinful for a person who has grown spiritually who has traveled up to here but for a person who is standing close to that wall sin is sin that's all let me give an example you see the bible says that judging someone is a sin there are situations when elders or leaders have to judge the people we are not talking about that this is judging in the sense of gossiping you know make coming to your own conclusions just because you heard something or uh, uh, you know you 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 uh, someone told you something you immediately pass a judgment many people don't think that judging someone is wrong right but in matthew 7:1 the jesus clearly said judge not that ye be not judged we don't we don't take care of such verses right we have some big some other big verses that we take care of eh? there are things that we are not supposed to do but the bible clearly says don't judge others in the book of james also it clearly says all right so i have understood that judging is wrong but as i grow in my spiritual life as i travel from there i read the bible more and i become uh, i manifest more of the nature of christ i grow spiritually more i by the time i reach here or so i understand that even maintaining a judgmental attitude itself is wrong you understand the difference between the two the first is judging with your lips you make a comment huh? you judge somebody straight away you know it is wrong but when you grow spiritually you understand that though you may not say anything opening your lips though you may not say anything opening your mouth even maintaining a judgmental attitude you look at somebody with a judgmental attitude you realize that is also wrong see the same sin becomes exceedingly sinful sin becomes more sinful a wrong look even when you stand there you know that a wrong look is wrong matthew 5:28 says if you look at a woman to lust after her you have committed adultery in your heart a wrong look is something wrong you know that but as days go by as you grow in holiness as you manifest christ's nature more and more in your life if you ever cast a wrong look at somebody you become so restless that unless you confess it you have no rest even when you stand there you know you should confess it it is wrong but you are troubled more in your conscience when you when you travel a little bit when you grow a little bit you are troubled terribly in your heart oh god i just looked at someone with a with a wrong motive or with a wrong intention i am really really sorry oh god please help me see that grieves you a lot much more than the grief that you feel when you are there let me give another illustration you know there are so many different kinds of weighing balances we used to have a uh, a firewood log you know pieces of log firewood uh, uh, selling place near our house where where i live now many years ago now we don't have it so in the next door they used to have a Uh, a a big balance you know have you seen the uh, balance on which the firewood is weighed it's a big wooden thing on both sides 
and they would place a 20 kilo uh, weight on one side and on the other side they would put the firewood, the piece of log and they would wait. Now, if a person comes to buy 20 kilos of firewood, even if it is 21 or 22, it doesn't matter. You understand? After all, it is firewood. It's a big balance. So you put 20 kilos and the other side goes a little more. It may be 21 or 22. doesn't matter. Then you go to the grocery shop. They have a balance. You go to buy one kilo of sugar. Okay? They will give you just one kilo. Instead of one kilo, they will not give you two kilos. Huh? One kilo, 100 grams, 150 grams is okay. Yeah, they won't say exactly one kilo. Oh, one kilo, a little more is okay. You go to the gold shop. We usually don't go, but, you know, if you ever go. <laughs> if you ever go. See, there you are there to buy 100 grams of gold. Huh? I don't know if, if that is how it is weighed, but I think it is, that's the way they do it. 100 grams of gold, it is exactly 100 grams. They don't give you 110 grams, right? It is 100 grams. See, the balance there is finer. It is finer, more fine. And then, you go to the physics laboratory of a scientist. There they have a balance. Huh? The scientist's laboratory balance. Even a speck of dust will make a difference. It is not a question of one gram or half gram. Even a fraction of a gram, a speck of dust on the balance would make that needle move. See, all this is balance. But you understand, as you know, you move from one shop to the other, one place to the other, the balance becomes finer and finer and finer. Believers who stand there, they have the firewood balance on their heart. Chota mota lie, they will manage. Ah, it's okay. Uh, they tell a small lie and uh, that's okay, it doesn't matter. Uh, but as you grow closer to this wall, even a small lie, even a shadow of a lie, a shade of a lie in your statement, that will begin to trouble you. Because in your heart, you have a finer balance. You remember David in the Old Testament? Saul was his enemy. Saul was chasing him. And on two occasions, David got an opportunity to kill Saul. Saul was hiding or, or taking rest in a cave on, on this side. And, so, uh, and, and David and his friends were on the other side. You remember those passages. And one of David's bodyguards said, Shall we go and chop off his head? David said, Nothing doing. Don't stretch your hand against the anointed of God. And finally, you know, David went... And cut the hem of his garment. Just to show that God delivered you into my hands. But still I have nothing against you. I am not your enemy. I, I got you in my hand but I did not kill you. Just to show that he cut the hem of Saul's garment. You know what you read there? Next sentence. His conscience began to prick him. David had that balance used in the gold shop or the scientist laboratory. He did not do anything wrong as such. But even the fact that he cut his, the hem of his garment, that began to trouble David's conscience. His conscience was so fine at that time. Dear brothers and sisters, I am really, really surprised. Some believers... Even if they, don't, they tell a lie, they just don't feel anything about it. I don't know whether they feel or they pretend as if they don't feel. I'm not sure. But they tell a lie and they're very cool about it. They get angry at someone and they're just cool about it. They, they shout at their wives and they don't feel anything about it. They have great boldness that Sunday to come to the church to break bread or to exhort or to sing a song, lead a song. They feel nothing about it. I don't understand how that is possible. If you speak an unkind word to a person, are you not troubled about it? That can happen to any one of us. Some of us, you know, when we are provoked, we may say a wrong word or we may use an angry word. That's possible. But if that ever happens, what do you do about it? Do you go to God and say, oh God, I'm sorry. I should not have spoken like that. 
I am being troubled in my conscience. And if you have done something against someone, you need to go to that person also and say, I am sorry. That is when that matter is settled. If we are not bothered by these things, if these things don't trouble us, that means we are standing there. There is no progress in our Christian life. Only the firewood shop balance is there. One kilo, two kilo is okay. One lie, two lie, once in a week is okay. Getting angry once or twice a week is okay. That means your conscience is not fine. You are not partaking. You are a partaker of divine nature. All believers are. But you are not able to manifest the character of Christ more and more in your life. One lesson that I have learned in my Christian life that has helped me, that is still helping me. You know, a brother through whom I came to the assurance of salvation, I came to the assurance of salvation through Zach Punan. We were in the same assembly. He is in Bangalore. He has some difference of doctrine. You know that. But in those days, we were in the same assembly as we grew up. And he is the one who helped me to know the Lord. Well, I had already known the Lord, but... He is the one who helped me to grow in my spiritual life and uh, get assurance of salvation as a, uh, as, a, uh, as a college boy or a high school boy. And there are two things he told me at that time. That was long back. Huh? I'm talking about more than 45 or so years ago. He also was a young man at that time. So one thing that there are two things he said, but one of those things he said, always be honest with God. I still remember that night standing in front of our assembly hall. He was talking to me and that sticks with me even today after about close to 50 years. Or maybe 45 years. Always be honest with God. If you fail, immediately go to God and say, God, I have failed. And he said, it is better to sin 100 times a day. And confess all of them than to sin once and not confess it. Now, that is not to encourage sinning. What he meant to say is, at the end of the day, your slate is clean. You committed hundred sins, but you confessed all of them. At the end of the day, you are right before God. But you, conf- you did only one sin and you did not confess it. At the end of the day, that stands against you. I have tried to practice that in my life by God's grace. Even now I am trying to practice that. I do fail. I am not perfect. I make mistakes. Sometimes I get angry or have wrong thoughts. But by God's grace, the moment I realize I have it, I immediately go to God and say, Oh God, I am sorry I have failed. God doesn't expect us to be perfect overnight. But God expects all of us to be honest In all areas of our life. Let me ask you something. Can you become perfect in a week or in a day? In a day or a week or in a year? The answer is no. But can you be an honest person? What's the answer? Can we all become honest? Answer is yes. All of us can become honest. We may not become perfect. But we can become honest. The moment you realize you have sinned. Immediately confess it to God. So, sin should become exceedingly sinful. Don't excuse sin. Don't tolerate sin. Don't entertain sin. Even sin in your look, in your thought, in your imagination, in your attitude, or in your words. The moment you realize you have sinned, immediately confess it to God. Be honest with God. And I tell you, God will help you To come up spiritually. Don't stand there. If you are saved. You have already left. The corruption of sin. Start walking towards this wall. Yield to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In your daily life. As you get closer and closer. To this wall. Sin becomes exceedingly sinful in your life. You begin to manifest. The character of Christ. More and more. You don't have to wait till the Lord Jesus returns to become like the Lord. Though you may not become fully like the Lord now, you can have a developing Christian character in your life. 
God has given us a wonderful umpire called the Holy Spirit in our heart. You see, in Ephesians 3 and also in 2 Corinthians 3, we read the same thing. By the Spirit of God. As, we, as I explained yesterday, it is as you yield to the working, the prompting of the Spirit of God in your day-to-day life that you progress in holiness. So, as the Spirit of God works in us, as that ampere blows the whistle in our heart when we do something wrong, that very moment, immediately stop playing and take a foul kick. You know, when we play soccer or football, as we say, Uh, All of us know that. We love watching that. If a person commits a foul, something wrong, immediately the umpire blows the whistle. And what do you do when you hear the whistle? You stop. And you you, uh, do uh, uh, some remedial measure. That is, you take a foul kick. And that's how you continue. You know, sometimes you have seen this on TV or you have seen it uh, when you watch football. You know, a player goes ahead with the ball, football, and he goes, uh, he's running ahead, but something goes wrong and the referee blows a whistle. But he doesn't hear that. He goes and scores a goal. But when he turns back, nobody's jumping up. What's the reason? Huh? He scored a goal, that is true, but that is not counted. That goal is not counted because the referee had already blown the whistle. He should have stopped there. God has given us a wonderful umpire called the Holy Spirit in our heart. He's there in your heart. He's there in my heart. When we do something wrong, in our looks, attitudes, or words, immediately he blows the whistle and says, hey, wrong. What are we supposed to do? Stop there. Confess it to God and say, Lord, I am sorry, I confess it. You know, even as we preachers, even as we preach, even as I preach, if I say something that I'm not supposed to say, say something for my glory, use a word at the wrong place, immediately I hear the whistle. You don't hear the whistle through the mic, but I hear the whistle. And even as I preach, sometimes I have to take a foul kick in my heart. What a wonderful umpire. Very faithful. No partiality. He, God has given that umpire in our hearts to make us more like the Lord Jesus. And as we listen to his whistles, as we listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and yield to him day after day, we grow more and more in Christ-likeness. In your compassion, you grow more. You become more loving. You become more humble. That is not something artificial that you produce in yourself. It is something that the Holy Spirit produces in you as you yield to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm sure all of you are familiar with this verse in Galatians 5. Huh? Uh, that ver- uh, this verse that talks about the, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. That describes the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. You read uh, uh, of nine things there. Galatians 5.22 It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. See, nine things mentioned there. That is the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ. The Spirit of God produces in the heart of a believer. As he yields to his control. Let me say that again. The fruit of the spirit. Is the character of Christ. The Holy Spirit produces. In the heart of a believer. As he yields to the control of the Holy Spirit. See a fruit is not something artificial. A fruit is something that comes from. Within the tree. A fruit is the external manifestation of the life sap flowing within the tree. If you have an apple tree and it doesn't yield apple, there's no point in buying some apples from the shop and tying it onto the tree. That is artificial. But when an apple tree produces apples, it comes from within the tree. Fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ. It is Christ-likeness. It is not something that you show artificially. 
It is something that comes from within. It is a part of the tree. It comes from within the tree. As the spirit of God works in your life and my life, and as we yield every day to the prompting of the spirit of God, the spirit of God produces Christ-likeness in our life. Love. Agape love. Joy, peace, and all those things the Spirit of God produces in our life. That is actually manifesting the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, very often we show these things artificially. We show love to people. We show humility. We bow before them eh, to the earth. We bow our heads and we smile at people. We shake hands with people. All sorts of things. That may be artificial. That may not be coming from within. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. You know, once I was, uh, uh, when I was in Coimbatore, I was going to the church to preach, to give a message on this. I got a very good illustration. There's a tree in Coimbatore. If you want to go and see that, I'll tell you where it is. There's a tree on which cycle tires grow. Lord of cycle tires on a big tree. You know, one cycle repairer sits under that tree, and at night he throws all his tires onto the tree. It appears as if it's a part of the tree. If you look from a distance, you will see cycle tires on that big tree. It's not part of the tree. It is artificial. You know, these air hostesses and stewards and uh, people in the Indian coffee house. You have been to Indian coffee house, right? With all that big thing on their head. They show so much humility, so much love. You know, I, I once traveled in, in an airline and there they are so polite and so good that the air hostess would open the door of the toilet for you. And in the hotels they keep on asking you, sir, you want anything more? At home your wife never asks you that. <laughs> if you say, I want something more, your wife says, that's enough, you get up and go. <laughs> but in the restaurant they never say that. Sir, you want anything more? Can I bring one of these? You think that is Christ-likeness? No, that's a part of their business. In our Christian life also, we, we do such things. We show so much love and humility and all that, that doesn't come from within. But as we yield to the working of the Spirit of God, dearly beloved, God helps us to manifest the nature of Christ more and more. May I conclude here? It is God's plan that we become like His Son, fully when He comes. But now, as we are in this world, in our body we may not be glorified, but in our character we can manifest more and more of his nature. And Romans 8.29 speaks of conforming to the image of Christ. And verse 28 says, all things work together for good. What is that good? That good is being conformed to the image of his son. So God works out all things in such a way that all that happens to us, would help us to become more like Christ. All the enemies that come our way teach us humility. All those who make trouble with us, our neighbors, our colleagues, or even our partners, you know, all the troubles that they create would give us opportunities to forgive them, to show them love, to be like Christ, not to revile when we are reviled, but to commit everything to the one who judgeth righteously. May we be faithful to God, and his, the working of his spirit in our life. And then we will not only have victory over sin. As days go by. We will manifest more and more. Of the character of Christ in our lives. May the Lord help us as we bow our heads to pray. Heavenly Father we thank thee for this great prospect that is before us. Something that we would never, never imagine or expect you to do. That is what you have planned for us. Make us conform to the image of your son. And experience a relative aspect of that as we live in this world in our character. Lord, give us the grace to yield to the working of the spirit of God in our daily lives. That the spirit of God may be able to produce the fruit of the spirit in our life, that we may not only have victory over sin, but that we may manifest more of the nature of Christ in our day-to-day -day life, so that people who see us may be able to see the Lord Jesus in our character. 
we thank you for this opportunity and as we as we continue to ponder upon these things we pray that these thy spirit may make these things a reality in our practical life we thank you and offer this prayer in our savior's precious name amen thank you uncle for the uh, session uh we'll take another 5 minutes again like usual we'll have a reflection time we'll have some questions put up and uh please take this time to actually reflect on what uncle spoke about and look at these questions and let's look at our own lives and see how much you know we actually are following what uncle has been speaking about right after this i request uh, benjamin to do, please come forward and close the session in prayer shall we pray our father in heaven we thank you that that you're a god who continuously gives us opportunity to conform to your image lord we understand that we are sinful we understand that we are carnal we understand that in fact most of our lives lord that we respond in the flesh and not in the spirit and yet in your grace and in your mercy you give us opportunities to be like you lord we especially want to thank you that that your love and your blood that was shed for us is powerful enough lord to draw us closer to you every single day we plead before you father that you would give us opportunities to love the spirit of the living god to continually work in our lives we confess that we struggle we confess that we have our weaknesses we confess that we have our prides our pride we confess that we have our bitterness our anger our envy our jealousy our hatred father we pray that we would respond to you in the spirit and respond to co-believers and respond to people of this world in your spirit lord lord we also pray lord that the the, the bible practice the fruit of the spirit in our life lord 
we exactly know what it is what it is all we sing about it we enjoy it but yet we forget to display that fruit which you want us to display lord we pray lord that you'd help us as a family as individuals as couples and as families and even as even as your children as being as body of, of body being the body of christ lord that you'd allow us to display the fruit of the spirit in our life Lord, this is an act of obedience that we want to have towards you. This is what you expect out of your children, Lord. We thank you that you will work in and through us for your glory. Help us, Lord. Help us to respond in your spirit. We bless this time and this, and even the message, and even your words that are being spoken out. Let it fall into good soil in our hearts, Lord. Let it burn into life, Lord, for Your glory. In Jesus Christ's most precious name, we pray. Amen.